Brothers and sisters, I invite you to hear the word of the Lord at this time. Paul writes, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculation rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience, a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or with the things of which they make such confident assertions. assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one use it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, our Father, we would ask that you would fill this room, that you would fill our hearts at this time, for not only do we want to hear your word, but we want to be changed and transformed by it, shaped more and more into your image through your word, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Please be seated. Grab your Bibles, and if you would go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. It's right towards the very end of your Bible. If you flip all the way to the back, you should be able to find it. 1 Timothy chapter 1. It is such a commonplace observation that it's almost trite to point out that our society, our world, uh, is obsessed with anything that is new. Something new comes out and our society just immediately wraps around it and is engaged by it. And most people have commented, many people have commented on that and recognized that as a character trait of our society. We're engaged in anything new. A new piece of technology comes out and immediately everybody wants that piece of technology. Uh, a new weight loss program shows up and everybody's attracted to the weight loss program. People start buying into that. Uh, even philosophies, a new way of looking at identity, a new look way at looking at our sexuality or our gender, and, and everything all gets ramped up in that. Everybody pays attention to those kind of things. Now, usually when we take the time to think about it, most people will acknowledge and recognize that just because it's new doesn't necessarily mean that it's good. It also doesn't mean that it's bad, being new isn't a measure of goodness or badness, but the way in which we wrap around and pursue that which is new sometimes gives the impression that any progress is positive progress, that the idea is to shape out of, is to expand, is to get to the next thing, not be settled, not be satisfied with what is, but to find that next step to do something that is new. Paul is aware of that tendency, and I believe that it is that tendency in humanity as a whole that we share that it marks, again, I think, our own character and our own culture so heavily. It also heavily influenced Paul's culture, and I think that it led him to be concerned about the preservation of the truth. In our study of 1 Timothy, we are kind of nicknaming this uh, a word of truth and godliness 
for Hebron Church. And it is that concern for the truth, it is that idea of what's happening to the truth that has attracted the opening sentences here of Paul. It's what gets him started as he is talking along those lines. But again, this is a word of truth and godliness, not simply for Timothy or for the Ephesians, but this is a word of truth and godliness for Hebron Church as well. And so I think that it behooves us as we look at this passage to be critical about ourselves, both as individuals and as our congregation and ministry, to be asking the basic questions, are we upholding the truth the way that Timothy is being encouraged to do so by Paul? Begins right in verse 3 here, right off the top of our passage after the introduction, which we looked at last week. Paul immediately launches into this. He says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, uh, Paul and Timothy have been missionary partners. They've been traveling for some time. By the time we get to this letter, they may have been on the road together for over 20 years, uh, at least 15 or so, where they have wandered through basically modern-day Turkey and modern-day Greece, which is where they have been, and they are traveling missionaries by and large. Now, that's a little bit of a misunderstanding in that the traveling missionaries, they would stay in certain spots for upwards of a two years or so. So it's not that they were constantly on the move, but they were traveling around together. And as I urged you when I was going on to Macedonia, Macedonia is, think in terms of northern Greece. So Paul is on his way to northern Greece, and he says to Timothy, remain at Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is in the uh, southwest corner of Turkey. So if you picture Turkey and kind of go to the far southwest, that's where you end up in Ephesus. So Paul, on his way through Ephesus or past Ephesus towards uh, the Greek homelands, says, hey, go ahead and stay down here in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is familiar to us largely because this is a, the city where Paul wrote the book to the Ephesians. That's where we get our letter, New Testament letter to the Ephesians. And we can learn quite a lot about Ephesus by reading Ephesians and also by looking at the New Testament accounts of what happens in, in Ephesians, in Ephesus. But we also can learn a lot about Ephesus simply by the historical picture or the historical record. And one of the things that we know about Ephesus is that it was the center point of the religious devotion for the goddess Artemis, which uh, in the Roman form is Diana. Uh, so they had a massive temple at Ephesus to this goddess, and she dominated the economy of the time, she dominated the religious actions, she dominated the way in which the people lived their lives. This was, by all accounts, from uh, any Christian perspective, this was an incredibly immoral city. And Paul was able to have a great ministry there, obviously planted a church, uh, which the letter of Ephesus is written to. So there's a lot of things that are happening, but the culture as a whole, the surrounding city of Ephesus, was filled with idolatry, was filled with pagan worship, was filled in everything, uh, the immoral actions that would cause most of us to shudder. So when Paul says here, I want you to remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain people, if you stop right there and you think, okay, if this is Ephesus, if Ephesus is this society that is so immoral, is so racked by this worship of Artemis, by this worship of this 
goddess, if that's what dominates everything in that society, you can imagine that the church would be called to what? Well, called to strong evangelism. Uh, I left you at Ephesus so that you could be sharing the gospel message to all those that are around that are in desperate need of it. Or a challenge to maintain their own holiness and purity. Hey, in the midst of this society, this culture that is so depraved, make sure that you maintain the strong standards of the scriptures that that the Bible puts forward for godliness in the face of all of this immorality. Or Uh, some kind of an understanding of, look, make sure that you guard yourself, because Paul himself, when he was there, there was a riot in Ephesus, there's opposition to the church, so you could imagine Paul saying to Timothy, hey, be wary of the pressure from the outside, what the culture will push pressure upon the church. Now, eventually, as we read in 1 Timothy, we will find that Paul gets to all of those issues. Paul is concerned for evangelism. He is concerned for holiness and godliness. He is concerned for the persecution that the church might experience. But that's not how he starts. The reason why he is prompted to write this letter is not because of the immorality of the culture as a whole. It is not to inspire Timothy to make sure that they are doing good evangelism or they're being good witnesses or that they are demonstrating the love of Christ or any of those kind of things. What is it that... Timothy is being charged with here. I want you to remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Uh, So that you might charge certain persons. At this point, the certain persons aren't identified, but you can kind of see Paul winking, you know, and when this letter was read out in the audience, my guess is that the congregation all kind of made sure not to look at certain persons and stuff like that. I suspect that this was not just a generic comment, but that Paul has somebody specific in mind, certain persons who are doing what? Keep them, stop them. I charge you that certain persons would not teach any different doctrine. Now, that's the ESV's translation. If you have other translations, you might read Uh, have people stop teaching false doctrine or have people stop talking, teaching strange doctrine or sometimes just the word is other doctrine or erroneous doctrine. Now, all of that is true, but Paul's language here is pretty specific. It's have them stop teaching a different doctrine. Is the doctrine strange? Is the doctrine that they are teaching false? Is it Otherwise, yes, all of those things. But what captures Paul's words here is this idea that it's a different doctrine. Different from what? Different from what has been handed down. Look at the very end of our passage in verse 11. What is contrary to sound doctrine? What is sound doctrine? What is true doctrine? What, is, what are you supposed to be teaching? That which is in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. It's the gospel message that Paul has been entrusted upon. He's been given this doctrine. He's been given the truth along with the other apostles. 
and he's being said, make sure nobody teaches anything other than this. It doesn't have to be intelligent stuff. It doesn't have to be foolish stuff. Don't let them teach anything other than what you heard from me. Now, what does that do for us today? If this is a word of truth and godliness for Hebron Church, Paul isn't around. We can't ask him, what did God say about this or what did God say about that, or can we? Well, most certainly we can. This is the scripture. This is the reason why as believers we stand so strong and so firm upon the Bible. It is why we emphasize over and over again the necessity of us reading, knowing, understanding the Bible. Why? Because everything else is a different doctrine. Different from what? It is different from what God has revealed and what God has shown us and he has given to us. So when Paul says to Timothy, stop these certain men from teaching a different doctrine, don't let them teach anything but what has been revealed. What has been revealed for us? It's not the imaginations of our minds, it's not the visions that might come to us, it's not the certain feelings that we have deep inside. God can lead us in all of those ways, absolutely. I'm not decrying those. But what we're supposed to teach, what we're supposed to hold passionately to, is what has been revealed to us. Everything else, if you wanna use the word false or strange or odd or other or any of those kind of things, everything else is different. So he says, command people, don't teach anything but the scriptures, teach the scripture and the scripture alone, that is that truth. When we say that we are after God's word of truth for us, the truth that we are to maintain and hold fast to is the word of God. It is the scripture that is laid before us. It expands on this in verse four. Paul goes on and says, do not allow, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Okay, now it kind of sounds like there's three different things here. Don't allow them to teach different doctrine or myths or endless genealogies. Uh, that's a possibility, but most people who look at the grammar and kind of uh, look at this kind of agree that the idea is don't allow them to teach different doctrine. That is myths and endless genealogies. Don't allow people to talk about myths and endless genealogies uh, instead of the true doctrine. So what, are, what, what, what is the concern with this? Do not let certain persons teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves some of this is built into that word devote. I'm not gonna expand on it a whole lot, but you get the picture. To devote yourself to something, to be poured into, to, to commit yourself totally and, and completely, to be devoted to it. Don't be devoted to myths. Now when we talk about myths, we automatically think in terms of the Greek or the Roman mythology and uh, you know, Scandinavian mythology has made us a, a, a plunge uh, for our attention these days. When we think of myths, that's kind of what we think about. And given that the temple of Artemis was right there in Ephesus, it might be appropriate to think that what people are doing is they're teaching different doctrines, that is that they're teaching different religions. They're teaching about the Roman gods. And what Paul says is don't teach different doctrines, don't teach about the Roman gods, but teach about Jesus Christ. But possibly, but 
the use in the further in the passage, if you remember, what do these certain persons want to do? They want to teach the law. What, what law? Well, the, the Old Testament. They want to teach the Jewish law. So I think the best way to understand this, the myths that are being warned against, are the Jewish myths. Are, they're, they're, they're myths that define their legends, their stories, that define the centrality of the Jewish people that say, this is how we came into existence, this is what is so important, this is what is so central to me. Hold on to that for a second. Don't teach endless genealogies. Endless here clearly is an exaggeration. Paul doesn't mean that, you know, there's no end to the list or anything like that. Um, I am... I am named after my father, Henry, who is named after his father, Henry, who is named after his father, Henry, who is named after his father, Henry. Uh, I, I like that, and I've been able to, to trace uh, some of that kind of a thing. On the other side of my family, uh, my grandfather was 11 years old when he came by himself on a boat fleeing World War I, uh, by himself in a, as an 11-year-old kid. I love hearing the stories about my family and those kind of things. Unfortunately, no one else in my family is the least bit interested, including my parents and my grandparents. My grandmother was somewhat interested, but nobody else ever cared. And so I've given you about all I know about my genealogy right there uh, because they just weren't that interested in talking about those kind of things. Now, my interest in that, does that identify me as a false teacher speculating on the endless genealogies that run around? I, I don't think so. The endless genealogies that Paul is concerned about, again, tie to this interest in being teachers of the law. It's the endless genealogies. It's the myths whereby the people can find security, can find salvation in who they are. My great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was part of the tribe of Aaron, you know, or part of the people that descended from Aaron, or they were Judites, or they were from Naphtali, or they were from... The endless genealogies somehow give the people who are reading these things the pursuit. I'm studying these things to try to find out where my family fits in so that I can have security that I am part of the people of God, that I am saved because of who I am. The different doctrine, the myths, the endless genealogies that are being warned about is any doctrine, any teaching that focuses and orients us on to look for our salvation in ourselves. The endless genealogies allowed the people to say, hey, I am somebody special. I am somebody unique. I am somebody that somehow deserves or merits or is good enough for God to save. And Paul says, that's a different doctrine. I haven't talked with anybody here at Hebron since I've been here that has been captivated by the endless genealogies of Jewish history or anybody that really gets wrapped up in Jewish mythology. I'm probably as close to that as anybody, okay? I haven't talked about that. Does that mean that we are not susceptible to different doctrine? I think we absolutely are. Anytime we are tempted, anytime we are pressed 
to pursue some kind of a self-justification, some kind of a way in which we are finding value in ourselves that somehow allow us to stand in honor before God, we are undercutting the very essence of the gospel. And as good as it sounds, as helpful as it sounds, it is nothing but a different doctrine. It's a different doctrine. And what's the result of these different doctrines? Take a look at the end of verse 4 there. Don't teach these different doctrines. Don't devote yourself to myths and genealogies, for they promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. These, this different doctrine promotes speculation. Now, what is speculation? It's thought, it's a concern, it's a, a hypotheticals, it's like, let's explore this, let's look around at these kind of things. It's uncertainty, it's, it's a failure to be sure and certain about different things. And so what happens is that these teachers are teaching about what it means to be, how can you save yourself? How can you sure, be sure that you are part of the right people, that you dress the right way, that you look the right way, that you have the right ancestors, that you're doing the right thing. And all that generates is speculation, not faith. Am I good enough? Am I doing the right thing? What, what will God think of me when he sees me in this way? What about all the failure that I have that marks my life? All of these questions, all of these concerns end up dominating and caused down. Throughout the church history, there have been periods of time where the church has wandered away from the centrality of the gospel. And at certain spots, men and women have risen up and have claimed the gospel again. And over and over again, it is to claim the certainty of our salvation in Jesus Christ. It is to remove the essence of our salvation away from our own speculations about us and to lay it at the foot of the cross. If my salvation, if your salvation is tied to what God does, then that is what we proclaim. That is what we teach. I am secure, this leads to faith, because why confidence? This leads to confidence assurance. Why? Because it doesn't rest with me. It doesn't rest with you. It doesn't rest with this endless speculation that comes when I look at any other source of my faith than God himself. If God is the source of my faith, then I can have that certainty, that assurance that Paul talks about at the end of verse four. Another result of teaching the wrong doctrine or false doctrine is vain discussion. Look in verse six. Certain persons, these certain persons, have swerved from these. I love the word swerved, by the way. Um, I was uh, swerved. They swerved from the path, from teaching the right doctrine. They've swerved off the side. So I had a, a friend of mine call me when I was 16 or whatever, 17, and he said, hey, I put my car in the ditch. Could you come and help me get it out? And I said, sure. And I show up, and his car is 50 feet off the road, pointed in the exact opposite direction in the middle of the woods. And I sat there and I thought, you didn't, when you said you put the car in the ditch, I figured that you wandered off of the road, you know, and you just kind of faded off and you landed in a ditch. This was no fading off wandering in the ditch. This was swerving off the road and to see what off-roading would be like. And of course, it ended like you would expect. That's what these teachers have done. They are swerving 
off the road. And what have they done as they have swerved off the road here? They wander into vain discussion. Vain discussion. Emptiness. Nothingness. Purposelessness. What is the result of a different doctrine? If you wander away, if you swerve away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will inevitably end up in vanity with nothing, purposelessness. We will end up with speculation, the lack of assurance, the lack of confidence that God desires for us to have as we move into his world. If we swerve away from the doctrine, if we teach a different idea, we are losing sight of the purpose that God has for us and the certainty that God has for us. And you can see this in contrast to what Paul says, this is what you should teach, true sound doctrine. Look at verse five. The aim of our charge, what charge? Don't teach a different doctrine, but teach the implied, but teach the true doctrine. The aim of this charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a severe faith. Teach sound doctrine so you know the Bible better. Teach sound doctrine so you're smarter. Teach sound doctrine so you know God more. Teach sound doctrine because it's better than teaching the other stuff. None of that comes up. Teach sound doctrine because it is impossible to love, to agape. This is that divine love. The goal of stopping different doctrine is not so we can be religiously right and everyone else can be wrong. It's not so we can proclaim the truth where everybody else is in falsehood. It is so that love may flow from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. A pure heart. Who has a pure heart? Every believer in this room has a pure heart. Not by yourself, but that's the message of the gospel. Who here in this room could stand before God with a clear conscience? Every Christian in this room can stand before God in a clear conscience. Who here has a sincere faith? Every believer in this room. Because that's the essence of the gospel message. My heart, my conscience, my faith does not rest on me but it flows from the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a measure of our lives. Is our life, is our relationship with each other, is the way in which we demonstrate the rightness of our belief, does it flow into our love? Is that love manifest in ways that people cannot avoid seeing? That's the outcome 
the natural outcome of teaching that which is true. Part of my job here is that I am the teaching pastor. That means that part of my job here is to make sure that what we are teaching is true. You will know if this body of believers manifests that kind of love. The divine love for God, absolutely. But that intimate, compassionate, caring love for one another. That's the, Paul's goal here in saying, don't teach a different doctrine, but teach the sound doctrine. It's Paul's goal. It's mine as well. Let's pray together. Lord in heaven, we do ask for that blessing upon us that you would allow us to teach that which is true, that you would allow us to identify that which is false, that is a different doctrine, that our lives would be shaped by the truth and that it would manifest itself in all that we do. We ask for your great leading and your blessing. In your son's name we pray, amen.